I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. We have some late-breaking news. We now have a venue for our live show, which means it's now happening. Is it ever? On Sunday the 18th of August, we are going to be at the Factory Theatre in Marrickville. That is in Sydney, so apologies to any interstate or overseas listeners, but if you're in Sydney or can get here, come along to the Factory Theatre on Sunday the 18th of August. Tickets are free, you have to register, but you don't pay a single thing for the ticket, and we are going to be watching the season finale of The Handmaid's Tale and then taking to the stage to recap it and season three as a whole. It's going to be amazing. A room full of Handmaid's fans. You want to be in that room? (laughs) Uh, Dress up if you want. I don't know. Come as Aunt Lydia. And, uh, yeah, we want to know what your favourite parts have been about this season, about the series. Get to know your fellow Handmaid's obsessives. Find out more. uh, Use the hashtag EyesOnGilead. Everyone's talking about it. You can come to my Twitter page. I'm at AnythingButFifi. I've got the details pinned at the top. You can Google Eyes on Gilead live show. We've got a Facebook event. I don't know. Call the SBS switchboard if you're completely stuck. They'll be able to help you out. But the main thing is get your tickets and come along to the Factory Theatre for Sunday the 18th of August. See you there. It's been the biggest blessing of my life. It's the book that is the closest to my heart and then suddenly to be in it, to be recognised as this character that I've always had a love affair with. It's really, truly been the most beautiful gift I've ever been given. You don't own me, I'm not your property, so take a shifty little bitty eyes off of me. Flight's a week from today. <laughs> Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a weekly podcast dedicated to The Handmaid's Tale. There is a lot going on in this show, and we think it helps to talk it out after every episode of The Handmaid's Tale Season 3, premieres on SBS and at SBS On Demand. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my colleagues and fellow resistors, Natalie Hambly of SBS Voices. Hi. And Heidi Island of SBS On Demand. Hi. And a snoozy baby Greta. And our fellow resistor, Sana Kadar, is still in Canada interrogating Fred and Serena. But she'll be back on deck next week to recap the finale with us. And as we get a little glimpse of Rita this episode, one of the rare glimpses of Rita this season, we are going to feature an interview with Amanda Bruegel, who plays Rita. So do stick around for that. So we have just watched episode 12 of season three of The Handmaid's Tale, the penultimate episode of the season. And this one is called Sacrifice. Eleanor, wake up. Gilead leadership is rocked by losses among their own. Let us pray for Commander Winslow's safety. Luke and Moira adjust to new arrivals in Canada. Have sinned plenty, but you, you are the gender traitor. June worries about disruptions to her plan. You cannot say anything, do you understand? You cannot! Only to have tragedy strike the entire household. In the name of God, We commit the body of Eleanor to the peace of the grave. Well, I think we kind of called a couple of things that happened in this one last week. I think we (laughs) did, yeah. Um, 
So a little bit of taking care of business this week, I think, mopping up the details from last week. What stood out? What stood out for you, Natalie? Let's start with you. Okay. Well, I think I have to go with Moira this episode because we haven't seen a lot of her all season. And I've got to say, if we aren't going to get that many lines from her, the ones that she had in this episode were amazing. She just had that brief moment with Serena. And I just love that she managed to say everything you would want Moira to say to her. She said it. Mm -hmm. She called her a gender traitor, which Mm -hmm. was just glorious. I like that she said, I'm June's best friend. I like that she got the point in that um, Fred had actually raped her at Jezebel's. Because I don't know that Serena knows about Jezebel's. So that could be new information for her. Mm -hmm. So, yes, that has to be my... Number one highlight. Yeah, I right. I, I think a couple of a uh, couple of weeks back, we did say that um, Moira always knows what to say. Like she always has the perfect line for every occasion. And yet again, yeah, she trots out the zingers. Yeah, she was amazing. Hayley, what stood out for you? Mine was the moment between Rita and June, the little holding hands across the potatoes at Loaves and Fishes. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that because it's kind of been hanging in the air this whole season. The fact that Rita was upset with June that she didn't take the escape option when Rita worked so hard with the other Marthas to set it up for her. And they've they've had like a little friendly exchange in Washington, but this was a proper kind of moment of reconciliation. Rita Rita kind of said, you know, I'm proud of you and... Such a boss now. That was was a good good bit for me. Yeah, they had a nice moment. And as I mentioned, we'll have a lot more Rita coming up. Maybe not in The Handmaid's Tale, but certainly in Eyes on Gilead. We're going to have that um, chat with Amanda Bruegel just coming up. And for me, uh, it sort of taps into your one, Nat, but... um, the Moira moment, but also the Luke moment, and I guess Eleanor as well. There was a loaded gun in that household, but um, there were shots fired in other ways in this one. And, um, yeah, the blows are landed here with, with more of a soft power approach. By not doing anything, June does a lot <laughs> this yeah. week. And uh, Moira and Luke, they're checked for any weapons as they go through the checkpoints, but, you know, they, they both get to land a good couple of blows on, on Fred and Serena. So love that. And they had that great line as well. I think Moira had it as they were going through that checkpoint, which was like, they want to be protected from us, exactly. you know, which was just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking of you, Haiti, because once I saw the gun opening up this episode and you said last week that, that if you're going to have a gun, you have to use it. And so I was waiting for that gun to be used. And it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. I'm yeah. still waiting. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, we still Joseph, know it's back upstairs. Yeah, Joseph hasn't asked for it back. She still has that gun. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, we open again with another gun in the Lawrence household, another opening with, with the gun, June doing her action woman poses, as we say. And Eleanor is in her sights, mm-hmm. <laughs> accidentally, <laughs> uh, because she hears the, the car's pulling up. But coming to call is old Warren Putnam and the guy who got of Matthew's baby. So yes. he, has he had a promotion because he now has a baby? So he's now a power player. Um, but at I least we did dro- find out that the baby's alive. You know, I'm yes. really, I'm really, I am really glad to hear that. Yes, it's, it's true. That was a little update on, on the bub. And Lawrence, he's in the circles of power again. I mean, mm-hmm. because I guess those circles are dwindling because mm. there's been some losses. But uh, mm. yeah, interesting to see who the power players are now in Gilead. Good fact-finding detail in this one for, for June to, to observe, to listen to what's happened to get the good news about, about Fred and Serena. I love that little complicit moment when um, she walks in with the coffee and Lawrence is like, oh, where's, where's Sienna? Um, <laughs> Sienna's busy. Is she just, Sienna's busy and you can just see Lawrence in the back of going, mm, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a nice fake, fake surprise <laughs> on his part there. But um, 
There's also some more baked goods that also mean yes. Are they Friands or something? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Billy's sending bakery goods now to say he's hungry. It's not yeah. Um, but uh, the countdown and the references to next week, because obviously that's the finale, but it's also when the plane comes, allegedly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So lots of nods to a week and a day and oh, this time next week. So thanks for reminding us that this show is almost over. But in that scene with June and Lawrence and those other commanders, after they leave, I think we get possibly the best line of the whole episode, though there is strong competition. Cheer up. Fred and Serena are toast and you just got away with murder. Oh, no, not a bad morning. And we also get to see June laugh, which we really don't get to see very often. And, of course, she's laughing because she just got away with murder and um, and she finds out that Serena and Fred are now in jail. I know. It's a double mm. whammy, isn't it? And she's also just found out that the plane is going to come mm-hmm. through, that Billy's agreed. So it's like three in one. Great. <laughs> Triple threat. Um, no, that's pretty great. And the way that June follows Lawrence around, like in that scene, but also in this whole episode, you know, she's in his footsteps to the extent that later on he says, we've got to put a bell on you because she keeps creeping <laughs> up on him. I like that that also prefaces the ending where, you know, she's creeping up on him and actually taking place right next to him, <laughs> assuming the, the stance of a commander. It's pretty great. And then we go to Loaves and Fishes and Rita. Hello, Rita. Um, My first thought when I saw Rita in there was, who is she shopping for? Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, I guess she doesn't have a handmaid, so she doesn't have someone to go and pick up anything for her. But, but she also doesn't have a commander and a, and a wife to feed. <laughs> she's got to feed herself. <laughs> really good to eat. Because um, I thought that too. Like, you don't normally see Martha's shopping. But um, mm. how um, else are they going to come across each other, I suppose? Oh, but we do see them shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that conversation that June had with Frances um, that got her course, hung on the yeah. wall. Yeah. They're okay. just so good at blending into the background. That <laughs> <laughs> you can see it. That's true. Okay. No, quite right. Poor Francis. Rest in peace. Yeah. Did you notice that the the state of the fresh food was pretty miserable this time around in Loaves and Fishes? One of those shots across the table of uh, carrots and apples. Like, I'm pretty sure the apples were actually rotting. It's true. Yeah, yeah, I noticed the apples too. And it was a nod to Lydia's conversation as well. Like, is it the apple? Is it the barrel? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's some dodgy apples. Now it's not just... The barrel. And it kind of reinforces that conversation we were having the other week about the food and what's available kind of being a barometer of of Gilead and the state of Gilead. And I know that we've been sort of picking up a few things here and there which are a bit that sort of stretch belief. And um, for me this week, and I'm sure there are way more obvious important ones, but for me it was the amount of time that they were taking choosing those potatoes. (laughs) They all look the same. No one can take that long choosing Choosing them. Come on, guys. I know, but it gets them longer together, doesn't it? Yeah. And <laughs> it's really we've sweet. already said that the Guardians aren't all that observant, really. They they wouldn't know. They've never shopped for potatoes. <laughs> Rita here, she mentions, you know, she's aware of the, the plan and she wants in and she gets to thank June for her service, really, and her friendship. Hopefully we'll see more of her next week. You know, she has said she wants to be in on this plan. But we don't know. <laughs> yeah, look, I feel like I can't get my hopes up with Rita appearing in this show anymore. So, yeah, it sounds like she should be there. Um, but I've got some look. I've got some thoughts on these fifty-two kids and the plane drop mm-hmm. next week. Mm-hmm. We might want to save that for later. Yes, save that for your speculation. <laughs> yeah, to me, I feel like you know they've had that moment now, so I feel like we're not going to see yeah. her. But 
we know it go. you know, whatever happens, readers are somewhere in there involved. So not knowing whether she'll be there, let's go to this interview that we have with Amanda Bruegel. As I've said, uh, this was done a couple of months ago now, back in March, when, uh, when I was on the set. So Amanda Bruegel is fantastic and she has some great insights here, actually, about Rita and... You know, we've, we've been missing her this season. So so this occurred in uh, conversation with some other journalists. So they weren't on mic. So I'm going to paraphrase some of their questions. Here we go. Amanda Bruegel. First of all, Amanda, thank you for joining us. Burning question. Are we ever going to get a reader backstory? I hope to God so. Oh, my God, you guys. Write it down. You guys write it, and I'll act it. We'll see what happens. Um, I mean, I, I hope so. This season, we, we definitely get an Aunt Lydia backstory, which I know it's very exciting. I've read it. You guys are going to lose your minds. Um, and so I hope. I mean, there's a lot of characters, and, and the thing that I love about the writers is they don't push backstories. Things um, evolve quite organically and naturally, and so I look forward to one. But uh, as of now, we haven't done one. So how does it work with Martha's? Um, are you always with the same household or do you ever get reassigned? Um, I, I've, I, Again, I'm the Martha's uh, lifelong servant until I get killed or they fire me. Uh, so um, I, I follow them where ever they go. It's been interesting because we're all sort of displaced. Mm. It's for the first time it seems like the household is fractured, which I think it needed to be. And in doing that this season really, and that's what I meant about it taking a left turn for Rita, this season you really see the relationship between Rita and Serena Joy develop into not only a friendship, but also almost a mother-daughter relationship. Um, Rita, I think, I know, felt a tremendous amount of guilt for helping Nicole escape and watching the impact that that had on Serena Joy. Again, we learned in season one that Rita had a child of her own and lost a child. And so she um, sees in Serena just a a mourning mother, and that really touches her. And they um, embark on a, dare I say, quite a beautiful friendship throughout this season, which is really unexpected, I think, between those two characters. Can we talk a little about the Martha's and your ability to be invisible? Like I remember mm-hmm. at the baby shower you had a swig of the champagne yeah. and no one noticed and, and obviously the incredible ending of season two. Mm-hmm. Just that idea of floating, you know, existing in the world but being invisible to, to the powers. Well, I really think it starts with uh, Anne Crabtree's costumes. I mean, it's particularly the Martha's. Uh, it, it's green, but even on camera it looks like it seems to sort of disappear into every room. So we just, we're just, even the way we look, we become invisible. We're not wearing bright red or this beautiful blue. We're so subdued even in the way we dress that we're almost unnoticed even on camera. So that really helps within scenes and it really helps to uh, get you into character when you're you're not wearing primary colors. I also think that uh, because for the longest time they haven't had any real purpose to men in Gilead, they're they're not really, um, they're sort of... um, they're just there's there's no value to them. They just help around the home, and so in doing that, people don't um, people start to ignore you, and that gives you power. When people aren't always watching you, it gives you a tremendous amount of power to really start taking uh, advantage of being invisible. It's almost like um, being privy to private conversations and then taking those and using them against the people that are holding power over me. I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
So we're an Australian podcast. We have to get in the question about the Australian. What's it like working with Yvonne Strahovski? She's horrible. <laughs> I can't understand her. I can't. No, it's it's wonderful. I mean, we're in season three now. And this season, and again, because Rita doesn't have a tremendous amount of dialogue, it's a difficult role to play because you don't, you don't have a lot of words to express what you're going through. And this season, there's been a lot more emotional exchanges between myself and Yvonne, which have been lovely. And Yvonne and I are very, very close outside of shooting and so that's really helped inform how we play the roles now like there's a deeper connection between us as humans therefore there's a deeper connection just automatically between Serena and Rita off camera and I love that it took until now for them to get to see one another as as women because there are even sometimes in playing the scenes you can see that um, who they would have been before Gilead which is really nice like the mask drops um, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell them am I allowed to tell them stuff? They're all under NDA Okay, so, so she's there's a beautiful scene that happens where she allows me to read and it's it was a tremendous moment for the two of us as characters. It's, it was a, a, a gorgeous um, offering from Serena to Rita, her servant. First of all, to, to allow her to read at all, both of them reading, but then to allow a Martha the, the privilege of reading and reading something that was so, so special and so um, sensitive material for Serena Joy. It was just the, it was the, the ultimate offering of friendship. And uh, so that was a really nice moment to play between myself and Yvonne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the impact of Eden on the household in, in season two? Because some in the audience, we sort of wrote her off as well. And, it's, you know, inside the household, she was a bit, you know, Rita gave a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. a lot of the eye rolls yeah. were from Rita. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then obviously the impact of finding out after the after her death what, what she was up to and just that impact of Eden on the household in on last household? season yeah. well, and on Rita particularly. And on Rita, uh, well, I think, again, I think this is one of the reasons why she softens so much in season three because it really truly is the softest and the most um, human and emotionally open that you've seen Rita so far. Um, I think Eden was a tremendous impact on that. Um, knowing that she could have helped this girl knowing that she she could have gotten her out or knowing that she could have been more kind to her, I think it really reminded her that she's not in this just for herself. And uh, I also believe that truly is why she's now trying to befriend Serena Joy because she's already lost so many women. I don't know if you remember in season one where the original handmaid killed herself. Mm. And I think because I have such a close relationship with the book, I saw that that started to break down Rita. And so there's been so many deaths and so many moments where Rita could have saved her. Um, or saved other women and chose not to and sort of chose to stay within her own steeliness and within her own, under her own mask. And Eden really has certainly helped um, take layers of that mask off. So this show obviously has an uncanny ability to align with the news of the day and, and the real world. Are there any real world themes that crop up in this season? Uh, well, uh, yes, yes. Uh, it's resistance. I mean, that's the main theme of the season. I know it was last season, but this season it's really actually seeing women coming together, unexpected alignments coming together, unexpected unions coming together. And so, yeah, I, I think it reflects it. It's interesting for me, not while we're shooting, but it's also so it's always so remarkable when the episodes roll out, how, how they almost directly mirror what is going on. And that cannot be timed. It's written so far before. So I don't know the Washington episode, for example. I, I am petrified to think what is going to be happening in the world, but it seems like they almost have a 
crystal ball. <laughs> and like, do you remember in Mexico last year with all of the children being separated yes. with their parents? It was, was of, yeah. It was the week of that episode. Mm-hmm. So while I can't anticipate what's going to happen, I'm, I'm positive that unfortunately things that are going on in the real world will most definitely be reflected in the episodes as they roll out. So I've read that you actually wrote your thesis about The Handmaid's Tale. So what's it like to now be a part of the series that, that it's based on? You know, I loved it. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm so close with the book. I wrote a sh- series of short stories when I was 15. I'm 42 now. I wrote them on The Handmaid's Tale. And then my, my thesis to get into university in the screenwriting program wrote it on The Handmaid's Tale, but wrote it on Rita. I just had a, and Rita in the book, as you know, she's significantly older. She's Caucasian. Well, everybody's Caucasian in the book, but um, it's been the biggest blessing of my life. It's like, it's the book that is the closest to my heart. And then suddenly to be in it, to be a character, to be be recognized as this character that I've always had um, a love affair with, it's really, truly been the most um, beautiful gift I've ever been given. That being said, now that we've gone so far off of the book, I've publicly stated that there's been a couple times where I've been like, I don't know. (laughs) If I would do it that way. Uh, but in the end, when the entire season comes together, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense, and I'm so happy with it, and it's just so happy to be involved with the project. And, of course, there's now the sequel coming. Um, what do you think about The Testaments? I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's going to be fantastic. I love the idea that it's not right after Gilead. I love that I want to be introduced to new characters. I want I want to meet these new people and see just the impact that this that Gilead had on people going forward. I think about that a lot in this book. Like eventually when this ends, because I think that hopefully when the series ends, we will have toppled Gilead. The fallout from that, the casualties from that, people's way of thinking, the people that uh, particularly like the Nuremberg trials when they do that. I don't know. I, it would just be fascinating to see what that world likes and and the impact that it has on the children. That would be really cool to see. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. I won't have a part in it, unfortunately, but uh, she can always write something else and throw me in. So. <laughs> Thank well, you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Thank guys. You. Enjoy your day. Thank you. You're welcome. Grab some wine or something. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed hearing from Rita, and I really liked what she said about Serena because I have been confused by that whole storyline this season. I never could quite understand why Rita was being so nice to her the whole time. Mm. I, I just didn't make any sense to me at all. So I'm really glad that she sort of shed some light on on how Rita was how Rita was sort of sympathising on the fact that they have both lost children now. Mm. I'd forgotten that actually that detail about Rita. I've backstory. always wanted Rita's backstory because mm. it sounded the hint that we got in season two, I think it was, was really interesting. It sounds like like she lost her son during. Um, a war. So I'm, I'm actually assuming that her son was probably fighting against the powers of Gilead. Mm. Um, so I would love to see that and know more of that. Um, so I am excited that now there's season four. Rita mm. is still alive. So um, yeah, I've got my fingers crossed for a Rita backstory next year. Yeah, I think so too. Fingers crossed for that one. Yeah. And that was really interesting what she was saying about the Marthas falling into the background and deliberately kind of becoming part of the furniture and and mm-hmm. not observed by those in power. It reminds me of way back earlier in the season, the episode where Serena was walking into the water and there was that beautiful monologue by June over the top about the women being kind of this unseen presence in Gilead and the men not seeing them until they kind of 
rise as the men's worst nightmare, mm-hmm. I think was the phrase. Yeah, that was right at the start of the season. <laughs> right at the start of the season. And now at the end of the season, we realised that was all foreshadowing and we missed it. And um, <laughs> oh, but there, it, Well, we didn't miss it, but, you know, there it was all yeah. laid out for us. I and, know. Uh, it's all there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was there for season two as well, in our defence. You know, season two was like the same. The Marthas really mm. um, came through in that very last episode. Yeah, I just love what she said, but that Martha's have no use for the men. Mm. You know, the men, they just, I don't know, just, they just make their breakfast, really. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was really fascinating insight into their role and how they really do get ignored. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're only useful when they, the guys need to know where the cups are or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of the guys, uh, Fred, in his palatial jail cell, if you can even call it that, what the <laughs> hell is going on there? Fred offering coffee, tea, whiskey. Oh, stop. a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> anywho, where do we start? Okay, so Serena... With her big confession, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. She dropped him in. Like, by the way, that scene with Fred and Serena and and she starts crying and says, you really got to stop thinking about me now because I'm going to be okay. When I watched that, I was like, oh, that's their Emmy nomination. Like, it was, <laughs> they were both so good. The way that she was delivering her lines and then the change that he had and then he put his hands around her throat. It was brilliantly done. Mm. But... I don't understand why she went in there and said that. Like, I don't know. I just... I think it was a tactic. Like, well, yeah. the fact that um, Torello later said, how did he take it? Like, he's the manipulator. He's the puppet master here with them. Like, he's flirty helpfulness to Serena, trying to get Fred to talk. No, he, he's, he encouraged her to go and do that, to get a rise out of Fred, to then see what happens and get him talking. Yeah, that's how I read it as well. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah, because if it, if it was because she was, cause she was crying so much and it actually felt heartfelt and I thought, she's not really upset about Fred's future and trying to protect him because it sounds, the words were saying, take care of yourself, you know, don't give them too much. You've got, you have to protect yourself now. So she mm-hmm. was saying sort of all the caring things about being a wife and she actually does say to um Tuella at some point. He says, you don't need to worry about him anymore. And she's like, he's my husband. Yeah, anyway, okay, so, but thanks for, I'm I'm so glad that you guys think that. Because there's no reason for Tuella to, you know, really like Serena or want to help her out. Mm. So I'm assuming he just wants Fred to turn on Serena and give him some dirt on her. He just wants to get Fred talking, I think. So maybe knowing that Serena betrayed him, yeah, that would make something happen yeah. <laughs> at the very least and, and they could get some material on Because like her telling him, don't talk, just watch what you say, like that could very well be guilt at having dobbed him in. It's legit because she was really only doing it for Nicole. He's the collateral damage of her plan. But then we do see Torello later sitting down, trying to have a conversation with him, get open him up, but Fred's awake up to that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I guess that's what I enjoyed is that Tuello tried to manipulate him and that tactic didn't work. Mm -hmm. And so Fred thinks he's so smart. Fred thinks he's okay, actually. Mm -hmm. He thinks Gilead's going to save him. Like, oh, Fred. Um, But the thing that does work for him, like you can't flatter him and say, oh, you know, the world really wants to hear what such a powerful commander has to say because it's such bullshit. But the thing that actually does work, which maybe Fred doesn't even realise, is Luke coming in and he just, he can't resist actually showing the power mm-hmm. that he has had, you know, mm-hmm. like it was quite galling to watch. But I thought, oh yeah, that actually is Fred's personality, isn't it? Yeah, yeah those because- scenes were great to, with each other. Like there was the attempt at 
diplomacy talking and like he's in, you know, quote unquote interrogator trying to get him talking. And then all it takes is Luke coming in with a notebook. <laughs> I want to see the pages that are notebook. Right, we're in those yeah, files. Yeah. Oh, broke, um, broke my heart when Luke opened that little scrapbook up of his and started flicking through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Luke. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I thought, yeah, I was thinking, like it's been five years as we found out last episode, right? And so he's just been, he's just been working away looking after the baby and putting this file together. And, and as we found out in that conversation with Fred, he hasn't given up on June. He's still waiting for his wife to come back. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And, you know, Fred breaks it to him that June's not the same and June's told Luke as much in those tapes that she sent him. Yeah. But, you know, it still hasn't quite gotten through to, to Luke. He's still holding out. I think that's quite what was heartbreaking for me. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Is that notebook kind of like an early script of The Handmaid's Tale? <laughs> like, has he been transcribing June's tapes? I want to think she's still making tapes down there. <laughs> but that's in the room. I hope someone got that book back out once yeah, he left. Right. I was very aware that that was still sitting on the table. <laughs> Hopefully that guard picked it up. So the fascinating, look, as much as I really enjoyed watching Fred and Serena and Luke in all of those scenes, the character that I'm still thinking about and wondering what's really going on is actually Twello. Like, mm. yeah. he's kind of using everybody and he's sort of playing them and I'm just sort of trying, to, trying to figure out what he's really trying to do with Serena. Right. I can't tell. Like, I still don't know what this deal is that she has made about Nicole. So she got to have an hour-long visit. Oh, I was so ready to see baby Nicole taken away from Luke right. and Moira this episode and handed over to Serena and it made me so happy when I realised she's just got visitation rights mm-hmm. and it's not exactly what she expected. Yes. Uh, I think Tuel is definitely, he's holding her at a distance but making it feel like he's her friend and her partner and yeah. He's on a charm offensive, that's for sure. Giving in newspapers and mm. wanting her opinion on, on the media reports about religion. And a little bit of pizza, yeah. contraband. <laughs> yeah. But also, he's kind of like a spy, I guess. That would be his job. He, he has to ingratiate himself with, with some of the worst people in the world. So that's what he's up to. Yeah, so he's currently being nice to her. Mm. And I guess I'm wondering what his end game is with her. Yes. And so she just got visitation rights with Nicole. I wonder how that works once she gets out of that holding yes. cell that she's in. Well, he does have a line um, that she's being detained until they finish the process with the commander. So mm. whatever that means, then where's she going? And that, Margaret, that would look a lot, the carer oh, the in the room. Worker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone get the line that she said to Serena, that like total burn when um, baby Nicole gets handed over to Serena and starts crying and is clearly upset and... The social worker has some line like, oh, it's okay. It's just, she says, it's just a little stranger anxiety. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Burn. Burn. Poor Serena. That baby does not know who you are. <laughs> exactly. Again, no bullets needed in a gun. And that actress that, yeah, she's not Margaret would obviously be, you know, it's Elva May Hoover. Yeah, she's a character actress. Um, she was in Superman 2. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting that Serena doesn't appear to be under arrest. Like you said, she's being detained until the process with Fred is uh, taken care of. But the news back in Gilead is that they've both been detained and are both going to be on trial for war crimes. So there's differences Mm. in what Gilead's being told about Serena and what is actually happening with Serena. And I'm wondering if that's to protect Serena. Again, it's all kind of... uh, Tactics, political yes. tactics. Yes, a lot of tactics at play here. And I also like the shot of the clock. You know, she's only got an hour. It's like a little hark back to June's two minutes phone call with Luke <laughs> there. It's sort of everyone's on the clock. And so what I'm curious with Serena 
now is that I feel like, like we really saw her sort of shedding her Gilead self. Right. So she took her hair down, so her hair is now out. When she saw Fred, she was still dressed like a commander's wife. But once she knows she's not seeing Fred anymore, she's now back into normal everyday clothes again. A little business casual. Yeah, and the way even she's like moving around a room is different. And the way that she's sitting in a chair is different. Very like she, she had her leg propped up, yeah. you know, which was we've never seen Serena sit like that ever, you mm. know. So it sort of left me wondering, going, how much of Gilead did she adopt and how much of it was actually her? I thought it was funny... Um, she did actually say to someone the normal Gilead line of like "blessed, blessed be" day. or yeah, sorry, yeah, "blessed, blessed day." Blessed day, uh, hello. Which was just a force of habit. Um, yeah, but I would. You know, I'm curious about post Gilead Serena, like how much? Because like um, mm. Moira did say to her that you know they were both women of faith as well, even though Moira says I have sinned a lot, which was a reminder that Serena's out of Gilead, but she still is quite religious. So. Mm. But she's very quickly dropping a lot of this Gilead stuff. She picks up that paper real quick. Yeah, and the look on her face when she's reading the paper as well. And I felt like Tuella was really sort of tempting her with her old career. And she is falling for it, hook, line and sinker. Yeah. Um, And then I quite liked the nice, straight after we see Serena's sort of like look of smile and wonder on her face as she's looking at that newspaper, we sort of cut straight to the Lawrence's kitchen and it's just, and it, it felt like we were going back in time, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, suddenly there are all these um, maids in a house preparing, preparing a meal and getting ready to have guests over. And just like the difference in the two settings was mm. um, quite no- noticeable. Mm, quite stuck. Yeah. Um, and a good point, I guess, to, to bring up again, this is the second episode directed by Denise Gamza Urgivan, who, who did last week's one. As I mentioned, she had that incredible film Mustang. So beautifully directed this one, I think, with the way um, the details are all revealed visually, but also as they play out in a scene. I feel like there was a, there was a metaphor in there in those prison cells where there was nature, but it was trapped mm. behind glass. That's as far as I got with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the architecture of the detention centre was really interesting. Yeah, I clocked that as well, these weird gardens with no view out. No Couldn't access see out to them, anywhere. apparently, even. All the light was coming down through skylights in the ceiling. It was very claustrophobic. Um, and those gardens, although beautifully pruned and kind of japanese in a sense, were really depressing looking. <laughs> They're really half done, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, most of the garden was kind of empty. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. It was yeah, weird. Yeah, really sterile kind of, yeah. kind of environment, yeah. But then back to Gilead, see what's going on over there, and uh, Eleanor. Eleanor, armed with some information, she is inspired and wants to go and save all the kids and tell everyone about her saving oh. all the kids. Oh, my God, she's a liability, and um, that sort of comes to its own conclusion, doesn't it? The episode started off with June getting away with murder. Yes. And then it was sort of very interesting, her role in Mrs. Lawrence's death as well. Mm. And getting away with murder a second time. Kind yeah, of. kind of. Sort of. Kind of. That's funny because I, I kind of kept jumping to, oh my God, she's, she's killing Eleanor. She's killing Eleanor. And then I'm like, well... She's she's not actually committing any crime here. She's just it's it's completely unethical, but it's not a crime. It was a really weird grey area. It was didn't quite know how I, how I, I think felt it about is a it. Crime though, 
Is it? Yeah, I think it. I think if someone is dying, if you don't act, um, there is. I'm not quite sure what the crime is. Maybe it's like a manslaughter charge. I don't know. Um, but I think it. I think it is. I think Lawrence would find one if. <laughs> but I guess um, what I really liked about all of that, we've been talking. Well, Lawrence has been talking about Lawrence and June have been talking about getting the 52 kids out. Lawrence's involvement in it, and that he would be considered a hero. And he's always been a little bit ironic about that, like, you know, because he knows that he is not a hero. Mm -hmm. But Mrs. Lawrence actually kind of was a hero in that. Like she she had a lucid moment and she realized that she was the liability. Mm -hmm. And so she actually sacrificed her own life so that she wouldn't jeopardize all those kids getting out. And I thought that was really moving. I read that very differently. Oh, really? Um, Because just before she goes upstairs to rest, Mm. she has that conversation with June, or that kind of yelling kind of one-way conversation with June, where Eleanor kind of questions whether they'll really be able to leave all of Gilead behind if they go. And I think she's predicting that this trauma and this pain in her will follow her wherever she goes and she's never going to escape it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's her motivation for ending her life. Not that she thinks she's, I don't think she realises that she's a liability. I think she's, I think uh, she's off her meds and she doesn't really understand. I, I actually know. think it's both. Like I, I little, think, yeah, like she sees an out, like she sees that Joseph's disappointed in her and June shaking her, <laughs> trying to shake some sense into her. Like she knows, oh wow, she does have that moment of lucidity to understand yeah, the right. danger of talking, blabbing to everyone about <laughs> saving kids. But yeah, it is the conversation with Joseph about life outside of Gilead. So I think that, I do think it's both. Mm. I think they're both in the mix. I I guess for me, that was the only way that I could justify June not doing anything. Also, Mrs. Lawrence, the whole episode was just obsessed with saving kids. The one time that I actually had to stop watching at some point because I was so freaked out was when, um, was when Mrs. Lawrence said to Mrs. Winslow Mm. that, we can, we can get those kids out, can't we? Oh, my God, I nearly died. Like, I know. What are you doing? Shut up, shut up, shut up. It was pretty great, that scene, wasn't it? Just the the tension in the room and Joseph's hand mm-hmm. on her shoulder, which said, your kids. Exactly. Oh, that was so good too. Yeah. Um, and so she's been so obsessed the whole episode with saving the kids that I guess that's why I thought that she killed herself in order to save the kids. Mm -hmm. And for me, the only way that I could really sort of justify June not doing anything is I was thinking, so what's going through June's mind when she's running towards the door, but then she stops and thinks about it. And then tiptoeing around the room. Yeah. And so I was thinking this was Mrs. Lawrence's, her way of helping the children. And I think June realized that and didn't want to get in her way. Again, I think it's both. <laughs> I think. Since when am I the generous one to towards all the evil people? I know, right? People. What have you done with Natalie? No, um, I think June sees an opportunity here. It's like, well, I'm not doing this, but it actually helps yeah. not jeopardise the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stays with her. And that's, again, a nod, nod back to her staying with of Matthew as she passed away as well. Yeah, there's kindness there. And she does, she is... Crying when she does say she was a kind woman. Like, yeah, she did actually, she was motivated by helping the kids and her hatred of the world that Joseph had created and her culpability in helping him do it. So I think all of that was also in that room as she was passing away and June didn't do anything to uh, to stop that. And I think like at the end where Putnam, like Warren, is doing the eulogy at, at the service, there is a line there. Forgive us, dear Lord, for our failings. For we did not ease her pain 
nor save her troubled soul. And it, it cuts to June because she did do that. You know, she didn't intervene when Eleanor was passing away. You know, and in, in doing that, she, you know, it, it's a sacrifice. This episode is called Sacrifice, remember? So it's a little nod to the letting her take the out that she gave herself. Well said. It did leave me wondering in the moment whether this would change Joseph Lawrence's motivations for leaving because he's been driven by the desire to get his wife out and to get mm. her safe. And if she's out of the picture, is the temptation to get himself out going to be enough for him to risk all of this? I guess that's why, again, I was thinking my approach, I was trying to think of how does that, how does that action fit all their motivations? And for him to think that his wife killed herself in order to save those children. If he does not save those children, he is dishonoring her wishes, you know? So I guess that's, mm. I guess that's how I was mm. approaching that because that's all that she wanted. That's what she was obsessed with. That's what she cared about. He has a chance to make that happen for his, for his wife mm. in a way that maybe he failed her in actual real world. Now yeah. that she's passed, he can actually do the right thing for her. Although... By staying, could he maybe dismantle the system that sent her that way in the first place? Rather than getting 52 kids out, could he actually, I don't know, just thinking like could he honour her even more if he's got this new (laughs) elevation as a result of all the other commanders dropping like flies? I guess that's the thing. There's two things happening. Mm. One is, is he going or staying? And two, is the Mm. plan still going? So I think And three, (laughs) is maybe Serena going to be made a double agent and she's coming back in on the plane that's coming next week. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I don't know, what the hell. <laughs> so I think the plane thing is still going ahead. Whether or not he's going to be on it is a separate issue. But I've, I'm wondering who is going to be on this plane because the amount of times we've heard 52 kids, 52 kids, 52 kids, except this episode, it feels like ever like June saying to everyone, well, you know, see what you can do and talk to your Martha and do you trust her and try and get her. And I'm like, <laughs> how many kids are going to be turning up at the Lawrence's house? I feel like there's going to be 200 kids getting out. And then she also made the point, I think it might have been with um, Alma, that of course the sad thing is if you think about these kids, their Marthas are going to take them from their home, um, put them on a plane, and then they're going to land in Canada, and then they're going to be... But they're still not with their parents. Because mm-hmm. we, um, we don't know if their parents are actually have already escaped and they're in Canada waiting for them. Or like Alma, her kid is in there and hopefully she'll be able to get her son on the plane, but then the son's still going to be an orphan when he gets to Canada. Mm. So all these handmaids are going to want to get on this plane too, and not everyone is (laughs) self-sacrificing like June is. (laughs) I'm thinking sharp elbows. They're all all, all coming out. Fight dirty handmaids. (laughs) put on that plane. Oh, wow. Yeah, the logistics are baffling. I mean, it's mentioned towards the end of this episode that the plan is that the Marthas will bring these children to Lawrence's house after dark, and then from there they'll be taken to the plane. Mm. This is a very high-profile holding location for 52 kids. Have you ever witnessed a school excursion (laughs) or anything like 52 kids in one place? Herding cats. I mean, how is this actually going to happen? At least there's a lot of room in that basement. It felt like a bad plan, you know, like once you're saying all the kids are coming to the Lawrence's house, and I'm like, really? (laughs) Really? That's how you guys are doing this? 
I don't know. And 52 kids as well. And as I said, I think it's probably going to end up being a lot more than that. It's still a lot of parents. What are they all have going to have gone to bed early? So I'm wondering <laughs> if there's some other plan, if there's going to be some sort of like function or yes. something where, which will occupy all of the parents so that, sorry, I keep saying parents, but all of the commanders and their wives. I wonder if there's like yes. another element to get them all in a room somewhere else. And who knows what's in that plane that maybe in that drop, which could be used if all the commanders and their wives are in a room together. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's got to be some other element because you just can't have more than 50 kids all leaving, all leaving their house and not have no one notice. Like, mm. Yeah, the stakes are very high. And I can't help but think what the repercussions on all of these Marthas will be when all of these kids suddenly disappear. That's why I was thinking about the handmaids, about why they're all going to want to get on that plane because basically anyone who stays, we saw in this episode... They've had um, Fred be captured by Canada. They've had um, Winslow disappeared. And their reaction, their immediate knee-jerk reaction is to respond with fire, basically, mm-hmm. and shut down, shut down borders. And, um, and their response is to um, respond with great action. And so once they realize that all these children are missing and have gotten out, they're going to want to respond with action. And basically anyone who's left is probably going to end up Either on that wall or 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 in one of Aunt Lydia's like massive executions. Yeah, mm. there'll be some salvaging, that's for sure. So um, basically, next week, every handmaid Martha and child in Boston is going to fly to Canada. Is that <laughs> is that where we're at? <laughs> we'll have five more planes, please. Yeah, we need some proper flight schedules happening here. Yeah, that that plane's going to be doing a lot to laps. And on the border conversation, obviously a nod to real world politics. I think Bradley Whitford probably had. Quite a lot of fun having that conversation on the phone there. That's just knowing his, him and his politics, I think he would have had some joy pretending who he might have been on the phone to. The effect that it will have on trade, have you thought about that? It will strangle us. Now, you know how to speak, you tell me. Idiot. What confuses me there is that, that uh, I assume that's him possibly phoning into this war council yes. that um, Putnam and... Calhoun were asking him to be a part of earlier in the day and they were asking him to support them in their bid to escalate the conflict and the carrot that Putnam dangled in front of Lawrence at that point was that he'd get his clearance back Mm. if he supported them but yet on the phone here he's clearly not supporting them so I don't know if that's going to be an issue but Mm. it did strike me that he wasn't he wasn't saying what he was meant to be saying. Yeah right but also He's phoning into the meeting, like he doesn't have to go to the meeting anymore, so yeah, like he's, he's got his power back a little bit. Um, and he is keeping the border open. He sure is, yeah, because he's using the cover of being a morning commander. He's still thinking, even as he's morning Eleanor. Nice mention of carrots, too. There was that shot of carrots. Everyone's <laughs> carrot and stick. Nice. Mm-hmm. See what you did there, Haiti. And then we, of course, end with Eleanor's funeral, where, again, under the cover of morning, June is... Stepping out of formation. <laughs> She's from way down the back and then just sort of steps in line, adopts the commander pose uh, right next to Joseph, which w- takes him by surprise, I think. I don't does. know why it would. Yeah, the, the look which they exchanged was really interesting. But just before that was when we did get a brief glimpse of Aunt Lydia in this episode. And I was thinking, oh, man, June has just ruined another household. <laughs> <laughs> She's really bad luck. Her fingerprints aren't on this one, though. <laughs> um, yeah, when she approached Commander Lawrence and then stood next to him and then adopted his pose, the look that he gave her, 
I don't know, because his his whole thing has been he always he knows people. Like he has tried to read all their files. He has tried to figure out who they are, and um, and he knows how to work them. And I thought, does he know? Does he know that June likely had an involvement mm. in his wife's death? Because yeah. there's, there's that extended um, exchange in the kitchen as well, where they're kind of staring each other down. And yeah, I think that's totally mm. there. That suspicion. I mean, this is a day or two after she's just come back from murdering a man at Jezebel's. He knows that she's capable of it. And, yeah, I think that suspicion is definitely there. Yeah, there's a lot of neck tension (laughs) in this scene. She's really, you know, she's using her neck to really be bottled up. And, yeah, I think that that extended glance actually is loaded with a confession that she just doesn't actually want to offer up. (laughs) Jean did a really good job of of looking bereaved when she looked back at him, though. (laughs) She did, yeah. That was convincing. (laughs) Yeah. So that was episode 12. One more to go. Time to speculate. Done a little bit of that already, but um, go to town. What do you think? You've got one more shot to speculate where this uh, season's going. Natalie. Yeah, I know. One <laughs> You've got an enormous go. smile on your face, man. <laughs> I'm really loving this. Like, they're really uh, bringing it for the final few episodes. I cannot wait for the finale. It's going to be amazing. So I'm dying to find out what happens with Serena. Um, I wouldn't mind getting a glimpse of Emily again. Mm. Where you mm. at? What you doing? And yeah, as I, as I said, I've got some concerns about this plane escape plan, but I feel that the momentum that they have, that it's, look, I'm hoping for a happy ending is what I'm, is what I'm saying. <laughs> is it okay that I hope for a happy ending? Am have I you just seen this show? Yeah, I'm fooling myself. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Let's hope Nat gets a happy ending. <laughs> Haiti, what do you think? I'm still waiting to find out who June is going to shoot. She mm. still has a gun. I'm sure it's going to go off at some point, and I hope it's in her hands and not pointed at her. Fair. <laughs> yeah. I'll second that. Yeah, don't shoot June, please. Um, look, I don't know. I have no, no idea. I do think something's coming in on the plane. So I just think with Serena seeing that, She's actually not going to get Nicole immediately. Tirillo's working his wiles on her. I, I don't know. I can't see her being a double agent in Gilead, but I also can't see Gilead without Serena in it. So I'm just going to put it out there. Come at me, whatever. I love it. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> we'll see. Only one way to find out. The finale is on its way. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope that helped. Thank you to my co-hosts, Natalie Hambley and Haiti Island and little baby Greta little tiny um, squeaks in there. And look, thank you for listening and for making our show a part of your Handmaid's viewing experience. We love reading your theories on Twitter. There is a lot going on uh, at the hashtag Eyes on Gilead, so do jump in there if you've got some theories about where this is all going to go. If you do want to reach out on Twitter, you can find me at Anything But Fifi. Natalie, where can we find you? At Natalie Hambly. Haiti. At Haiti Island. We had a great tweet from Emma using the hashtag Eyes on Gilead who noticed back in episode 10, she noticed that Serena places her hand upon every single character. She even forcefully places her hand on the Gilead text Fred is reading. Serena has quite literally been waiting to play her hand. Nice. The hand with the lopped off pinky. Yes. Well spotted, Emma. Thank you. Uh, there was and there was another tweet by Lee, who is an economist, and she is very curious about the trade links between Mexico and Gilead, and she wants to know what is it that they're actually trading. She says, we don't see it, but they must have a manufacturing base. Is it guns, clothes, power, cars, flour, toilet paper? What is it? Mm. All right, and as they have, uh, use the hashtag Eyes on Gilead. It's going to be good as we head into the final. 
and uh, feel free to leave feedback and give us a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. But in the meantime, the finale of Season 3 of The Handmaid's Tale will premiere Thursday on SBS and at SBS On Demand. Eyes on Gilead is produced by me, Fiona Williams, and edited and mixed by Jeremy Wilmot. You don't own me, I know your property, so take your dirty building's thinking eyes off me. Gentlemen, I thank you for the briefing, but now I need to mull. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down.